is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. In old England, in the 15th century, there were no banks like there are today, and so people kept their money at home. And metal was really expensive, and so there weren't metal safes. There weren't even metal cans and metal jars back then. And, but what there was was clay. There was this really common clay in England, and people made dishes out of it, and they made jars. And guess what? They stored their money in those little jars. And that clay, the name of that really available clay was called pig clay, P-Y-G-G, pig clay. And uh, so it became known in England as your pig jar, which was where you kept your money at home, or uh, your pig bank. Around the 18th century, which would have been 300 years later, the word pig now sounded really similar to the animal pig. And so some entrepreneur pottery guy, he decided to start making clay pigs out of pig, P-Y-G-G, clay, and guess what he called it? He called it a piggy bank. And uh, so that's where the piggy bank came from, in case you didn't know that. Now, when I was little, uh, I had a piggy bank. It did not have the hole in the bottom with the little plastic thing that you could pull out so you could get your money out some other time. When you, when you uh, wanted to get the money out of the piggy bank, you had to break the piggy bank, and that was, that was the end of it. This is week four out of week five of our series on money proverbs and, and getting some tips, some financial tips from the proverbs. We've been asking the question, does God have anything to say to us about how to financially be, I don't want to use the word successful, but I don't know if a better word, but how, to, how to use our finances the way he wants us to and how to benefit uh, from that. Are there some tips? Last week, if you were here, we talked about debt. We talked about uh, how I believe in the Proverbs. It tells us there's some dangers in taking on debt. And you and I should be very cautious about how we take on debt and use debt. After last Sunday, I had a sense that I should have spoken uh, some of my own personal convictions about debt. I, I purposely left that out because someone encouraged me not to talk about that, and uh, so I didn't. But in hindsight now, I'd like to just tell you that I lived most of my life trying not to take on consumer debt. And I want you to know that I really believe anecdotally that I was blessed by that commitment, the commitment that I was challenging, or the financial tip that I was giving you last week, that we should be very cautious to take on financial debt. Debt or, or consumer debt, as we called it last week. And uh, so, you know, we didn't have much debt. I told you about one time we took out a loan. I think that was to purposely lift up our, or what do you call that, credit score or whatever. Uh, but we didn't really need to even have done that. But, but to not take on debt in my family, hey, there were some choices that went along with that. And one of the choices, or some of the choices that came along with not taking on debt was that we ate out very little. In fact, Ann made a joke that our kids had never gone to a restaurant until they left us to go to college. Now, that wasn't really true. But what my kids will tell you was that they always drank water when we went to Pizza Hut, right? Um, 
We never had cable TV. The kids never had the latest things. They didn't even get a lot of the latest clothes. When we lived in the parsonage over here, uh, their church used to own a house over here to my left, the one you've seen, double story green roof. We used to own that house as a church. And in the attic of that church, Ann and I had boxes stacked up that said 2T, 3T, 4T, 5T, so that our kids passed down their clothes to each other. And it was 2T boys on this side and 2T girls on that side. Or maybe it was 2T boys, 2T girls. I can't remember exactly how it was. But our attic was filled with boxes full of clothes that the kids would then pass down to the, to the next kid. Now, I'm not complaining about any of that. I'm simply saying to you, you can't have both. You can't have great spending and no debt. You just, unless, I guess maybe if you made lots of money, but most of us are not in that boat. And so you can't have no debt and lots of, of spending. And for those of you that don't know, that are visiting our church, maybe maybe this is your first time with us, um, you know, our church has lived by that same kind of commitment to be debt-free. And so we've, we've chosen over the years to not borrow money. And again, let me refresh your memory if you weren't here. I'm not saying that it's a sin to borrow money at all. Uh, I did say that it was unwise. And I'm really grateful for the commitment that, that, uh, that you guys have made, we've made as a church family. Today I want to share with you another financial tip. And, uh, and this is coming, coming from the Proverbs, and it's in the realm of savings. And I'm calling this the piggy bank principle. And, and here it is. This is the financial tip from the Proverbs. We should save money in the present to meet needs in the future, expected and unexpected, our own and the needs of others. It's kind of long, so I'll repeat it again. You can just get the, or, yeah, you can just, I don't think, I, I didn't put it down in words. Maybe I should have done that. But here, here's, the, here's the financial tip from the Proverbs. We should save money to meet present needs and future needs, some of which will be expected and others which will be not expected, and needs that are our own and the needs uh, of others. Now, right now, I imagine some of you may be groaning because you're not a saver and you're a spender. And you're, if you are groaning at all, knowing what I'm going to talk about, it's only because you know that whatever I'm going to say about savings is, is wise. You just know that inherently. Maybe you just know it on the inside. Maybe you know it because you've heard it so much throughout your lifetime. I was amazed by this. So many countries have proverbs about say, saving. Let me give you an example, a few examples. German. This is a German proverb. Whatever you save is also earned. Jamaican, save money and money will save you. USA, for age and want, save while you may. No morning sun lasts a whole day. I'm not trying last a whole day. I'm not trying to explain these. They're pretty self-evident. Croatian, save three pieces of gold and the fourth will fall into your lap. Yugoslavian, he who works has much. He who saves still more. Scottish, for saving comes from saving comes having. Netherlands, wasting is a bad habit. Saving is a sure income. Now I could go on. I'm telling you, there's lots of Proverbs from around the world all about savings. Uh, but really, that's not our point of authority, is it? And whatever people think isn't our authority. What, what's our authority is the Word of God. So, but, but my point is that around the world, people recognize the value in saving. But does the Bible teach that we should save? Does, does the principle that I gave you a minute ago, is it a biblical principle? Is it from the book of Proverbs, since that's where we're seeking to gain our wisdom? And the, and the answer is absolutely yes. And so I'm going to give you, I'm dividing this talk this morning 
dividing into five considerations. So let me begin. Here's the first one. The Proverbs encourages us to save for our future needs. And uh, this is pretty clear. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. This was, the, this was about the lazy person not being diligent to work. But uh, here's what it says. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no, no overseer, no ruler. Yet it stores its provision in the summer and gathers its food at the harvest. Now that, that proverb is really to address laziness. But in the midst of, of speaking to lazy folks, Solomon gives us this illustration of an ant. Now granted they're doing this from instinct, but he's saying that even the ant works hard now recognizing that he's going to have a need in the future. You should do the same, you lazy person. That's the point of that, uh, of that proverb. Solomon is saying nature itself teaches us that storing today when I have for needs to, of tomorrow, there's wisdom in that. I don't mean to be offensive to you millennials, so please don't be offended, but I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations that, that make the point that, that we need to make this point, that it's not as self-evident as all the savings proverbs from around the world might indicate. This is a survey from Acorns Money Matters. Uh, 41% of nearly 2,000 millennials, that's people born from 1980 to the year 2000, surveyed, admitted that they spend more on their morning coffee than they do on their retirement plan. Mina Hurd, uh, a customer, millennial customer at the Phoenix Coffee House speculated on why that is. And she said, I'm not putting money away because I'm not making money. So maybe that shift towards more people in school longer and going back to school is connected to why young adults are not saving. We live in the moment. Speaking about millennials, we live in the moment, maybe more than others. So that concept of thinking about the future retirement isn't necessarily a bi big of a deal to us as it was in the past. But it gets worse than that. Uh, in that same survey, they found that only 5% of, of millennials are investing in their retirement. So only 5% of folks in that age bracket are now investing for the future or saving for the future. Proverbs 21.20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. The fool spends all he has, but the wise person saves. I think this, I think this truth, this principle, is illustrated in Joseph's life. You remember when Joseph, um, you know, he's, he's given charge over, I mean, he's in, locked up in, in Egypt and he interprets the dream of the seven fat cows and the seven lean cows. And when he interprets the dream, he says, man, there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And the Pharaoh says, well, what should we do? And Joseph says, well, you should save during the years of plenty so that there'll be plenty of food for the years of famine. So I think, I think it's just illustrated in common sense, which again would explain why so many countries apart from the Word of God, just have Proverbs about the wisdom of saving. Your car is going to break down. Your kids are going to get sick. Taxes come. Insurance bills are due. These things are coming. Old age is coming. Count on it. And, and so because it is, we need to save for those needs today when I can so that I'll have for uh, tomorrow. And some of those needs are, are expected needs. In, in our home, in our home, our car insurance is every six months. Uh, I pay self-employment tax, so that's every quarter. So we have to be saving that money out of our paycheck so that we can pay these expected bills. The roof 
roof on our house is 25 years old. So we've been saving, or 24 years old, so we've been saving because we know that it's coming that we're going to have to put new shingles on our house. Those are things that are expected. But there's unexpected needs, too. Your, your refrigerator gets fly, fried by the, by the uh, lightning storm. Medical things happen to us. Uh, Ann and I had two trips to the ER a couple of years ago, and I'm telling you, it was hundreds of dollars. We didn't have met our insurance, or what do you call it, deductible. It was hundreds of dollars. And uh, mine turned out to be nothing but gas. And uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> this is a true statement. I told, I told Ann, I said, I will die before I go to the ER again and pay hundreds of dollars for them to tell me, oh, you got gas in your chest, right? So you're bloated. I'm going to die before that happens again, just so you know. We've tried to save a month's salary in our savings in case y'all ever let us go. The Proverbs exhort us through illustration that we are to save money for future needs. Here's the second thing the Proverbs says. The Proverbs encourages us to save so that we can help meet future needs of our family. In Proverbs 13.22, it says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. It says the sinner's wealth is stored up for others, but a good man leaves an inheritance for his children and his children's children. I think the point here is that, you know, when we're wise and when we're doing things the way God wants us to do, then we should not be just looking out for our own money stuff now, but we should keep in mind our children and our grandchildren that are coming, and we should help provide for them. I tell you what, it is a leg up when you've got parents who have and can help you in the future. I thought this was a comical quip. quip. Nobody wants to live like a not miser, but everyone loves them when they're their ancestors. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Nobody wants to live like a miser, but boy, if you have a miser as an ancestor, you're happy when he dies. No, I'm kidding. You're happy when you inherit. The Proverbs aren't suggesting that we live like misers simply so we can leave our, our whatever to our children or our grandchildren. It's not saying that. Uh, but it is saying keep that in mind. But the Proverbs are not saying this either. This bumper sticker, have you seen it? I'm sure you've seen it. It says, I'm out spending my children's inheritance. You've seen that, right? So neither, does the, neither, does the, neither do the Proverbs tell us to live like that. A good man saves so he can leave some of it for his descendants. You know, I just want to honor my father for a moment. You know, my, uh, my dad was a missionary, and uh, my dad probably didn't make the money that some of you guys are making. They never owned a house. Um, but, you know, my dad and mom saved for my college so that when I went to college, my parents paid for it, and they saved up for that. So I want to honor my dad. I'm telling you, such a great blessing. If you, I mean, it, it is, an, you, you just need to recognize what a blessing it is to you when you've had a mom and a dad who have saved up to help you with a leg up in the future. And, you know, fewer and fewer people are going to college, which is probably a really good thing. Uh, but so parents, a lot of parents are saving up and, and they're giving to their children a down payment on their house or they're providing the funds for uh, the land. In fact, uh, Ann and I had a leg up from, from her side of the family in that uh, her parents helped pay the land where our house is built when, when we built out there. So that was a blessing from, from them. Okay, so um, Proverbs teach us, hey, let's keep in mind leaving and helping our children in the future. 
So here's a saving to that end. Here's the third uh, thing I want to say from the Proverbs. The Proverbs present a tension when it comes to saving. Now, if you can buy into my first, the Proverbs' first two points, which I hope you will, I hope you'll leave here today with a renewed commitment to savings, okay, to save. But having said that, there's a tension that we find in the Bible with savings. And, um, and so I, I think this tension has three points to it where it touches, three, three touch points, if you would, where there's a tension between saving and, and other things the Bible says. So here's the first point of tension. We need to be careful that our savings doesn't become selfishness. That our savings doesn't just become about us and about us hoarding and us getting more and more. Proverbs 11.26 says, People will curse anyone who hoards grain, but a blessing will come to the one who sells it. We can be so consumed with our own need that we save our wealth or, or we, we won't even sell things that we ought to say, sell to help others because we're just so consumed with our own greed and our own selfishness. So there is a tension point there. A Amassing savings out of selfishness brings judgment and a curse. And I think this is what Jesus is alluding. I think he's I think the backdrop of what he says in Luke 12, verse 16 through 21, really is this proverbial statement. Because this is what Jesus tells the story of a guy who makes lots of money. And the guy says, Wow, I'm gonna he's got his barns filled. And he says, I'm gonna build bigger barns so I can save more, and then I can just, you know, take a life of leisure. And uh, and then Jesus says this about his story. He says, the man says to himself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But this is Jesus. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So Jesus is telling us that there's a place where our savings can cross over a line into selfishness and not be how the Lord wants us to manage savings. In Matthew 6, Jesus is quoted directly in this teaching. He says, verse 19, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So there's this tension, there's this balance between saving to take care of future needs and then saving too much where it becomes hoarding and it becomes about selfishness. Now here's what David Platt says about this very subject in his book, Radical. He asked the question in a, in a chapter entitled, How Much is Enough? And then he asked these questions. Now this is David. Listen to what he says. And, and this kind of captures what I was just saying to you. If we have savings, where is the line between responsible saving, which the Bible certainly advocates an irresponsible hoarding, which the Bible clearly condemns. How does all of this affect the way we approach investments, retirement accounts, or life insurance? How much is wise to save for potential future need when brothers and sisters around me, as well as people who haven't ever heard the gospel, are threatened by dire present need? So David Platt asks those questions, and he doesn't answer them in his book, nor should he. But this is what he says, and this is what I say to you and me. This is what David says. David says, hey, we have the Spirit of God. 
You seek from the Spirit of God the answer to those questions. What, what is responsible saving for future needs and what is irresponsible hoarding when I should be helping meet present needs all around me? There is no cut and dry answer to that. You know, you, you have to answer it through the Spirit. And we, we, we live by the Spirit. You know, ours is not the letter of the law. It doesn't diminish the power of the Word of God or its truthfulness or its power. But, but we live by the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who is teaching us. It's not going to contradict the Word of God, but He's the one that directs your steps. Here's the second point of tension that I see, and that is that our savings um, can become an excuse for ourselves not to help others. And the Proverbs are really clear that we should be helping others with our resources. Here's just a couple of examples. 1917, whoever's kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Proverbs 22.9, the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus tells us, and I already read the verse, but it's wise to store up treasures with the Lord in his kingdom because he'll grant to them to us in, uh, in, the, in the kingdom realized. A couple examples from Jesus. Here's Matthew 25. You know this really well. He's comparing the goats and the sheep. And this is what he says to, to the people, to the sheep, when he's talked about what they've done. He says, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. I was naked and you gave me clothes. I was sick, you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. In other words, you used your wealth, you used your resources to care for others. And the tension point with savings is, again, I hope you understand, I hope you all leave here today with a commitment to be a saver for future needs, unexpected and, and, and expected for yourself and for others. I hope you leave here with that commitment, but never forget the tension. Never save to the point that we don't help take care of others in the present. Here's another place where Jesus confronts the rich man, you remember? And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own. Give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieved, for he had many possessions. And again, we've all said this. Jesus isn't telling us all to sell everything we have and come and follow him. He's, but he is telling us that, you know, our possessions... And caring for them more than we care for others can become a hindering, a hindering stone to us following him and knowing him. So saving for the future is wise, but there's a balance. Francis Chan in his book, uh, uh, Crazy Love, you remember, you may, maybe you've read that book, Crazy Love. It sold lots and lots of copies. And uh, so he got the royalties on that. And so he made, I, I would imagine... Hundreds of thousands of dollars, if, if not maybe millions. I, I don't know what he made. But he and his wife talked about it. And you know what they did with the proceeds from Crazy Love? They didn't take a single proceed from Crazy Love. What they did was he and his wife gave it to organizations that were rescuing girls from the sex trade. That's what they did with the money from Crazy Love. But he later writes, and he says, The backlash from his Christian friends was immense. They told him, you're acting irresponsibly. Shouldn't he save that money for future needs? And this is what he replied to them. Do you think that a 12-year-old girl being raped multiple times a day constitutes an emergency? If it were your daughter, would that be an emergency? What would you pay to free her? So 
my point is that there's a tension between my future needs and present dire needs now. And, and the tension between saving for this, which is good, called for, God-ordained, God-directed. The tension is that I can, I can forget this over here and just put all my money over here. And the third tension is what I think Agor talked about the very first message in this series. Remember the Agor, Proverbs 30? He said, Lord, don't give me poverty and don't give me wealth. Don't give me poverty lest I steal and dishonor you. Don't give me wealth lest I what? Forget you. You know what, folks? We can build such a savings account that we, become, we begin to depend on that savings account and we forget God. Proverbs eleven twenty eight: Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Sir Francis Bacon used to quip. He said, money is a great servant, but it's a terrible master. It's a great servant, but it's a terrible God, little g. And there's a tension that if I save too much, then my money becomes my savior. My money becomes that which I depend on. My money, you know, I don't worry because I've got money. And so there's, there's another point of tension. Jesus said we can't serve God in money. So be careful there in that tension. Number four, why is it so difficult to save? Well, I, I, I tell you what, I mean, we've tried to practice it our entire lives. Why is it difficult to say? Well, the Proverbs has the answer to that. I've already actually read you the proverb, but here it is. It's 2120. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. The reason it's so hard to save is because we want to spend it now. It's because we, what, we want what we want when we want it. And when do we want it? We want it now, right? And, and it's hard to live a life of self-denial. And it's hard to live a life of self-denial when I have the, the greenbacks in my hand and I can get what I want. It's hard to say, no, I'm not going to get what I want, but I'm going to save this. It's hard to deny myself. So many people believe uh, that if they just had more money, they would be able to save. But that's not really true, folks. Uh, I mean, it is true that if you have more money, it, it is, it does, it's less taxing on you to save. I, I do agree with that. But the, really, the issue isn't more money. The issue is spending less. The issue is denying yourself and not spending the money on what you want. If you earn $30,000 a year over a 40-year career, you will earn $1.2 million. And most of us, most of us in this country, most of us in this room earn much more than $30,000 a year. The, the average income in America now is $80,000. Remember that? The average medium income in America is $80,000. Um, so um, we, we make money. This is, this is six years ago, 2015, but I imagine it's probably still pretty true today. USA Today did a, a survey, a report, or whatever, and they reported that, and here's the quote, almost a third of workers, 28%, said that they have less than $1,000 in savings and investments that can be used at retirement. Well, why would that be? Why would people only have $1,000 saved towards retirement? Well, it's because we lack self-control. And I put myself at the, at the front of that line. We lack self-control. Uh, we're lousy savers. 
You know, the promise of, the, of God for us is eternal life, right? The promise of God is, that, is the resurrection from the dead. I mean, that is the bedrock. That's, the, that's what we hope in. The hope of glory is the return of Christ and our resurrection from the dead to be with him forever and ever and ever. That's the hope of glory. But you know what? There's another promise that God gave us that affects our life now every single day. You know what that promise is? That promise is that he has given me his spirit. And that his spirit lives within me. And his spirit can help me live responsibly. Not just in the area of finances, but in every area of my life. He can help me control my tongue. He can help me control other desires that I have, right? He, lives, he hasn't left us alone. He hasn't left us to our own brokenness. He's given us his spirit. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You know, and we, we, we look at that verse a lot of times and we say, oh yeah, I'm going to get to do miracles and I'm going to get to do all these supernatural things. And, and the Spirit of God has indeed given people the ability to do supernatural things. But you know what? I really think at the heart of that verse is, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you're going to be able to live for me. You're going to be able to be different. Lana, I so appreciated your prayer when you were talking, when you prayed and said, God, help us to, I don't remember your words exactly, but it was like, Lord, help us to live gently and kind and different sort of lives. And how do we do that? How do we do that in a world that's so filled with vitriol and anger and, and dissension? And, and How do we do that? We do it by the Spirit of God within us. We have power from him to live differently. And I tell you, folks, whenever we, we stumble, whenever when we don't, it's not because the power is not there. It's because we're living by our old nature and we're living by the flesh. We're not living by the power of God. So he's given us power to, uh, to, do, to do this. It's difficult, but we have power. Now, and here's my last point. And in this last point, I want to give you these three practical uh, steps to becoming better sa savers. And, and this, is, this is not biblical. It's not against the Scripture. I mean, I can't go to the Scripture and say, here's how you do it. But here's just three practical applications to help you save, okay? And I think, I mean, I did a lot of reading this week. And, I mean, it seems like everybody talks about these three things. So I'm going to share them with you. Here's the first one. Understand the latte factor. So listen up, hand. Here's the latte factor. I only say that not because she's guilty of anything, but because I was asking her if she knew what it was, and then I wouldn't tell her what it is. So, so here's the latte fan, uh, factor. Um, and I got, I got this from David Bach. He's the guy that kind of first wrote this out there and put this out there, all right? And, uh, and if you understand this, I think it'll help you with savings, all right? It'll help you with savings. And he wrote about this in his book, The Automatic Millionaire. And he tells about a story of meeting a, a young lady named Kim after one of his financial seminars. And uh, she worked at the Gap, and she came up to him and said what I think a lot of us would say. I can't save money because I don't make enough money to save. That's what she said to him. So I'm just going to read you um, what transpired. So David asked her to describe a typical day. On her way to work, she stopped for coffee. Plain coffee? No, a double non-fat latte. Price, $3.50. Is that all you have? No, I have a non-fat muffin too. Price, $1.50. So you're not even at work yet, and you've spent $5. Kim was a little annoyed, but she went on. 
At her morning break, she bought a, a juice drink, price $3.95. And then a friend in the room reminded her that she's always asked for the ginkgo booster, another 50 cents. Oh yeah, and the power bar for $1.75. We're not even at lunch yet, and you've already spent $11 and haven't really had anything to eat. So David pulled out his calculator and said, let's suppose that you save five of that $11, just five of that dollars, and skip the latte and the muffin. That's $150 a month, $1,800 a year. Let's say we invested that at 10% annual return, which is what the stock market has averaged for the last 50 years. How old are you? 23. How much do you think you'd have by the time you're 65? She guessed $100,000, $200,000, $500,000. He kept saying, nope, nope, nope. Almost $1.2 million. Kim's eyes went wide. You mean my lattes are costing me $1.2 million? <laughs> so here's the latte factor, okay? It might not be what you think, but here's what it is. The latte factor, he said, is simply this. Small amounts of money spent on a regular basis cost us far more than we could ever imagine. Small amounts of money spent on a regular basis end up costing us far more than we realize. That's the latte factor. You can't, you can't save if you're going to spend it all. You can't stay out of debt if you're going to spend it all. You need to look for the latte factor. I remember uh, probably two years ago, we were helping some friends of ours out uh, financially. And, um, you know, they uh, were working at a place probably paid less than the gap. And while we were there visiting with them, the cable TV guy came and hooked up the cable TV or came to work on the cable TV because the cable TV wasn't working. Latte factor. Latte factor. Regularly going out to eat, that's latte factor. Sodas, latte factor. Water's free. Lottery tickets, latte factor. And on and on and on it goes. I think the opposite of the latte factor, not opposite, but a corollary to the latte factor is this. And this is where, this is where y'all know me. Saving little bits of money here and there adds up to a lot of money over time. I mean, isn't that true? Saving just the least a bit of money, if I keep saving little bits of money here and there over time, it adds up to a lot of money that I've saved or that you and I can save. And I'll give you an illustration. Recently, I bought a tool from Harbor Freight, and it was X dollars. And about a week later, it was X minus 10. So I didn't have my old tool on me, the one I'd used, so I went and bought a new one, took my old receipt and went back because you got 30 days and I got $10 back off of that. And somebody said, why did you put yourself to that trouble? Because $10 is $10. And $10 plus $10 plus $10 a whole bunch of times turns out to be a lot of money. So here's how you save, guys. Recognize that little amounts of money saved are end up going to be a big amount of money in time. So uh, here's, here's the second uh, thing, a suggestion I give you for saving money. Pay yourself first. Pay yourself first. You, know, you notice the government does that, right? When you get your check, what do, you, what do you notice? They've taken it out, right? Did you know that at first they didn't do that? Up until 1946, you got all your money, and then in the spring you paid your taxes. And guess what happened in the spring? Nobody had the money to pay their taxes, right? So the government got smart, and they started taking their taxes out 
right when you get paid. And they'll give you back if you got some left over, but uh, they started taking it out from the beginning. And you know what? You, you, well, we notice it, but you know what I mean? You learn to live on whatever the paycheck is. All right? So here's what I'm suggesting to you when it comes to savings. Pay yourself first. Do it, do it the same, right? Do the same. Pay yourself first. And, and how, how much should I save? Again, I, I think probably 10% is a great goal. But some of you say, man, I couldn't save 10%. I'm barely, I'm barely doing whatever. Well, latte factor. Find some places. But hey, if you can't do 10%, start with 1%. And then next year, make it 2% that you're saving. And then 3%, you know. But, but start somewhere and pay yourself. Five dollars a day. I mean, I, I realize that's, that, that's a lot, okay, but five dollars a day, that's 1.2 million dollars invested over the course of your life. So, that, that shows you something, doesn't it? Um, financial uh, counselors call this the magic of compounding because as you save that five dollars and you put it in savings, it gets interest and it just kind of it just kind of compounds itself and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So pay yourself first. And the third thing I'd say to you is make it automatic. Make it automatic. So what am I? I'm a butterfly in, is that right? And you're the roach? No. What is it? <laughs> So what it tell, help me the, about the clutter people, right? Oh, she's a ladybug. Uh, I'm the roach. Anyway, um, I'm the roach in two two ways. But anyway, um, so they got these these bugs named for people. The clutter people like myself is they don't mind the clutter. It's out in the open. The ladybugs can't have it out where you can see it. There's a lot of ladybugs in this room. And uh, so my wife's always complaining about my clutter. And so out of frustration, I always say to her, take it to the dump. Get rid of it while I'm not here. I'll never know it's gone. And I'm being serious. And I'm irritated because she brings it up all the time. So I come home from church, from work, and there's my truck filled with all the stuff that she wants me to take to the dump. And I tell her, you can't do that. You can't make me drive the truck to the dumpster. I can't, I can't throw it away. If you want to get rid of it, you've got to throw it away, right? Do, make it automatic. This is what I'm saying with regard to your savings. You know, if, 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 you're, if, if you can't do it by getting your paycheck and then putting some of that money in save, you can't do it because it just burns a hole in your hands, make it automatic. So often your work will take a payroll deduction out of your check. If, you're, if you have a job like this, they'll take the money and put it in savings for you. Ask them. They'll do that. And if they won't do that, the bank will do that. You just create another fund. And the bank will take money out of one fund automatically and put it in another so that you don't ever see it. So listen, if you can't do it on your own, make it automatic. Make it so it's automatic. Pay yourself. Make it automatic. And, and remember that latte factor. Remember that just little bits of money saved over time or spent regularly is a, is a, they ends up being a lot of money. And the same thing, if you reverse that, you can save it. So there you go, family. There's the piggy bank principle. And, uh, and, and there's such wisdom in it. There's such wisdom in it. Saving for the future. Saving for future needs. Saving to be able to help your family. Saving to be able to help others. Takes self-control. Takes denying yourself. You can't do it unless you're willing to deny yourself and not live in the moment. And there's a balance between generosity and saving. Just, just know that.
So that's the end of this talk. But before we leave this morning, let me encourage you. Jesus is a saver. Okay. And I don't necessarily mean financially, though I think he would have lived by these principles since it's his word, right? I think he would have, he would have lived and done the balance perfectly between saving and, and, and giving and, you know, and not hoarding. He would have done the balance just perfectly there. But I don't mean it that way. I mean, Jesus saves. And what he wants to save more than money is he wants to save you and me. And so I thought of the story to end on, the story of Zacchaeus. And you remember, this, remember Zacchaeus, he was a, a small in stature man. He was a, a tax collector, and, uh, and of course, he was the chief tax collector. So I would imagine that meant he was the most hated of the tax collectors of his day. But God was working on Zacchaeus. Somebody said, what, what, made, what made Zacchaeus do what Zacchaeus did? And I, it's because Zacchaeus is recognizing his need. He's heard about Jesus who isn't, evidently Jesus cares for people like him. And he knows it. And so Jesus is coming to town. He hears it. He can't see because he can't see over the crowd. So he climbs up in a tree. And when Jesus comes by, he stops. And he looks up in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, get out of the tree. Come on down. We're going to your house. We're going to have lunch. And Zacchaeus scoots on down to the tree, probably an old senior man, senior man, comes out of the tree, takes Jesus home. And by the time their visit is over, he says, he says, I'm going to give, was it a half, is it half of my, my savings, half of my possessions I'm giving to the poor? And if I've defrauded somebody, I'm going to return it four times. If I, if I charge somebody too much and I knew it, I'm going to give them four times back. And then Jesus says, today salvation has come to this whole house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. I can sit here and talk to you about how salvation affects your savings account. You notice that? But that's not my point. My point is that Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. He wants to preserve us. We preserve money. We save money for the future. Jesus wants to preserve us for the future. He wants to save us so that one day he can give us life eternal with him in his kingdom here on earth. And that's what he wants to save you for. All of us are lost. We're cut off from him. The Bible says we're dead in our sins. So, I mean, we're, we're effectively not going to... Not going to be saved for the future. But Jesus came to save me and he came to save you. And he wants to repair and restore and reestablish your relationship with him. So if you don't have that relationship, man, I just, I urge you to, to come to know Jesus. You know, this is a second invitation. I felt led to invite you to receive Jesus after Anne's testimony and song. But I still, I'm still inviting you. If God's pulling and, and wooing you and drawing you, he wants to save you too. He wants to save you forever and ever and ever. You know, will you come? Will you come? We're going to close uh, with a song. Janet, would you come up and just kind of help us out with this song? Um, in fact, let, let me pray first, and, then, and then, we'll, then we'll close out with a song, okay? Father, thank you for giving us such wise advice and such help, uh, you know, in how to manage finances and how to flourish and be fruitful and, and just, you know, how to take care of our needs. Thank you. Like Ann said, you've been there in that song. You've been there all along. You've been there all along, and we love you for it. 
But thank you for giving us advice and counsel on, uh, on financial matters. And Father, I want to pray for all of us that we would seriously uh, look into savings and, and what that, you know, if we, if we need help, to ask for help. And just show us how to, uh, how to, do, that, how to do that well. So again, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to save us, you know, save us forever and ever and ever. Thank you for, for being our Savior, the one who saves us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.